African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. This is a very significant historical election. This crisis is still damaging, especially Finnish and European economies very hardly, and that's an important reason to get more and more co- cooperation. And uh, what we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of uh, Tiwonge and uh, Stephen, and also we see Malawi violating its international commitments. Well, the position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting for marine species in particular. African Dialogue, a talk show where we cover anything and everything. You are listening to uh, Channel Africa, your gateway to Africa and the voice of the African Renaissance. It's a new week. It's Monday. Thank you for joining us. We're back here on African Dialogue. I'm Benjamin Mushatama. Remember that you're listening to us on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa. Well, let me let you know what's happening on today's program. Today, we're looking at a topic we've been looking at this entire year, and it seems like we keep going back to it, but it's important because it seems like the situation is still getting uh, worse. But today we're going to be looking at the Ebola epidemic and look at how we can actually respond to the spread or what we can do as individuals to actually uh, curb the increase of uh, this particular outbreak. But uh, before we look at that, let's get our news. We've got Anne Musa standing right in front of me and she's ready to give you the, the news update. She's looking as awesome as ever. In the headlines, Sudanese rebels claim responsibility for attacks on two military bases in Blue Nile State. Egypt's Muslim Brotherhood endorses a proposed November 28 protest against secular and military rule. And the Empire State Building lights to mark the elimination of violence against women. Good morning. Sudanese rebels claim to have attacked two military bases in war-torn Blue Nile State this days after attending a round of peace talks with the government. South Sudan, rather, People's Liberation Army North raided the bases in Blue Nile last week in retaliation for the aerial bombardment of two towns. Fighting fled in the state last month despite both sides meeting at peace talks in Ethiopia until last week. Fighting erupted in Blue Nile and South Kudafane in 2011 when former rebels from the SPLAN took up arms against the Khartoum government. The blacklisted Muslim Brotherhood has endorsed a proposed November 28 protest against Egypt's secular and military rule, but did not say whether it will take part. Friday's nationwide protest, labelled the Muslim Youth Uprising, has been called by the Salafi Front. The Salafi Front is an Islamist group that supports ousted President Mohamed Morsi. The protest is to declare Egypt's Islamic identity, oppose Western and Zionist domination and topple the military's proxy rule. South Africa's Deputy President Cyril Ramaphosa is expected to meet leaders of opposition parties in Johannesburg today to seek an end to the chaos that has been prevailing in Parliament. The meeting follows last week's engagement between Ramaphosa and the leaders of 11 opposition parties to restore the dignity of Parliament. It was decided to put a report on severe sanctions against 20 of the opposition EFF members of Parliament on hold. However, the deal unraveled within a day. Mercedes reports. Opposition parties say they are looking forward to have a thorough engagement with Ramaphosa. DA parliamentary leader Musima Imani says he wants Ramaphosa to give a clear picture of what the terms of reference will be for the parliamentary committee that will be set up to deal with the concerns raised by the opposition. Maimani says the DA also wants Ramaphosa to give an indication of how soon President Jacob Zuma can appear before the National Assembly to answer 
answer oral questions. And UDM leader Bantu Holomisa, insisting that no one can unilaterally change the original agreement that parties had with the deputy president. Genetic experts say identifying the remains of five of the 11 South Africans who were killed in the Nigerian church tragedy is the most difficult test they've ever dealt with. 116 people, 85 of whom were South African, died when a guest house belonging to preacher T.B. Joshua collapsed in September. 74 bodies were repatriated over a week ago and most of them have been buried. Dr. Mondro Marx, head of a genetic testing center at Stellenbosch University in South Africa, says they are trying all possible methods. If nothing is obtained, then negotiations between the Nigerian authorities and the South African authorities um, must be conducted to take into cognizance other factors, you know, the clothes that were being worn, that were worn, uh, fingerprints, uh, you know, physical uh, characteristics, that type of thing. And finally, the lights of the iconic New York City Empire State Building are turning orange tonight to mark the International Day for the Elimination of Violence Against Women. United Nations Secretary General Ban Ki-moon will join the Executive Director of the UN Women Agency and American actress Terry Hatchett to light up the building at sunset. Orange was chosen by the UN as the international color to mobilize people around the world to take action to stop violence against women. The illumination is also kicking off 16 days of activism against gender violence. Recapping the top stories, Sudanese rebels claim responsibility for attacks on two military bases in Blue Nile State. Egypt's Muslim Brotherhood endorses a proposed November 28 protest against secular and military rule. And the Empire State Building lights to mark the elimination of violence against women. Channel Africa through the African Leadership Academy supports the Babson African Students Organization, Basel Beat Ebola campaign. It aims to raise funds to support a local organization in Liberia to provide personal emergency protective supplies to families in high-risk communities. So far, over 8,500 U.S. dollars has been raised on the online GoFundMe platform and $2,500 in checks, which is a total of 11,000 U.S. dollars raised. The hope is to be able to purchase and ship the kits by the end of November. Please help us reach the goal of 25,000 US dollars by donating via the links www.gofundme.com, Baso Ebola campaign or channelafrica.co.za and follow the discussions on Facebook or Twitter at hashtag donate for Ebola. Every dollar can save a life. Together, we can save many lives and restore hope to families in Liberia. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Well, we're back to that topic once again here on African Dialogue. We're speaking Ebola, and uh, we've been uh, looking at this uh, particular outbreak, uh, and it has been a story that has been really big, and not just a story now. It's really a reality for the continent, and also not just for Africa, but for the rest of the world as well. So today we're going to be really looking at that particular theme. The fight against the spread of the deadly Ebola virus in West Africa requires the efforts of all citizens across the world. Of the six countries that are battling to contain this disease, Liberia is the worst hit with nearly 3,000 deaths recorded. Now, the state of affairs has spurred Marvin Tarawali, a Liberian citizen who graduated from the African Leadership Academy in Johannesburg, South Africa, to launch a fundraising campaign to raise funds to support a local organization in Liberia. Now, through the organization which he co-founded in his country, the Student Reform Initiative, 
Marvin hopes to support at least 5,000 families in protecting themselves from contracting the disease. Now we've got Marvin Tarawali on the line and he's going to let us know what he's up to and we'll see if we can get some of the other guests on the line to look at the response of the Ebola outbreak. Marvin, are you there with us? Good morning, Benjamin. Fantastic. Marvin, tell us, where are you speaking to us from? I hear that you're in the United States. Um, come again, please. I was just asking, Marvin, where are you speaking from us uh, from? Are you speaking from the U.S.? Where in the U.S. are you now? I'm in Wellesley, Massachusetts. Oh, fantastic. Now, tell us a little bit about what you're doing there after you graduated from the African Leadership Academy. Uh, you were graduate there. Tell us about what you do uh, there and just a little bit of context to who you are. All right. Thanks, uh, Benjamin. It's really uh, good to be on the show this morning uh, to make a contribution. Um, um, so I graduated from the African Leadership Academy in, in 2013 and uh, moved to the U.S. to attend university at uh, Babson College. But uh, I've been working with a startup uh, nonprofit um, in the education space to sort of uh, promote education improvement, especially with young people, um, to give them the opportunity to sort of have a shot at their dreams by working with them to figure out what are the major things that uh, challenges they're, they're facing in their schools, um, and helping them uh, develop the tools, the entrepreneurial tools that can help them um, solve some of the problems. So mm. every summer I've gone home to Liberia, mm. uh, worked with a team of uh, university students who were uh, equally passionate about uh, education reform in Liberia, and we worked together on a summer project. And um, this just this summer we worked with 10 uh, high schools and uh, five students from each of the schools were their teachers and, and administrators oh. uh, to look at what are, what are the mo- most pressing challenges these students are facing uh, in the school and how can they uh, sort of like use their own skills and resources to address those problems. Uh, sort of like the idea of creative problem, creative problem solving um, is what we work with these students. Mm. So that's what I've been working with um, yeah. uh, since uh, I graduated from ALA. Now, tell us a little bit. You originally from Liberia. When last were you there? Are you hearing stories from uh, the country about this Ebola virus? How serious is it? Because some people are saying, hey, uh, maybe it's not that big. It's just in a small portion of the continent. But, hey, we're seeing something uh, concerning here that's taking place. Well, I was in Liberia this summer um, from May to uh, late uh, August uh, when uh, the Ebola outbreak became really uh, widespread. Um, so I sort of experienced um, Ebola uh, firsthand and how it affects the sort of like the daily activities of the people in the, in the region that, that are affected. Um, so. Um, Beyond the economic hardship, uh, especially with uh, the economy, these um, fragile African, uh, West African economies that were mm. uh, still struggling to uh, recover from war in Liberia and Sierra Leone, uh, you realize that um, families now that are not able to, to get out, uh, even to get to work, um, there are severe economic hardships that they face within their families and so um, and even just the normal uh, activities of the uh, of people in the country, uh, mm. where you, uh, we're we're a culture of people who are who embrace each other, like, and that those sort of like uh, practices have been hindered because you you really cannot insert, you cannot hug people, you cannot shake hands, so sort of like mm. um, it, it it just disrupts the entire cultural activity of the people, the economic activities. And, and for me, um, as a person really passionate about education, uh, it really saddens me to see that students have now been able to go to school since um, uh, since uh, the, the outbreak. Yeah, and, yeah. and that's uh, that's something that's really, really uh, uh, bugging me uh, most of the time. And we're looking at how can we uh, really get people to get educated because students stay home for six months or so, 
it's not really healthy for our development process. Yeah, definitely. Now, uh, let me introduce uh, Fatima Shabodin, who is the Action Aid Country Director, and uh, to find out more about uh, how we are doing in terms of uh, the response mechanisms. I know that the U.S. Center for Disease Control, the CDC, recently predicted that if the virus continues to spread at the current rate, more than 1.4 million people will be infected before the outbreak is contained. Fatima, Welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you. It's good to be on your show again. Yeah, it's great to have you back, Fatima. This is a concerning time right now when we look at this uh, Ebola outbreak. The response, how is, it hap- how is it taking place? Are we doing enough? What more can we do? Well, we know that the response is way too slow, and, and at this stage it's also not at the right level. So yeah. um, the Ebola crisis laid us bare as an African continent. For the disconnect between our rhetoric on regionalism, pan-African commitment, and our practice on the ground. Mm. So the response from the EU, we know that it was only very recently that the ministers' meeting of of health ministers were called. Um, so it, it does show up our infrastructure problems on the continent mm. um, as a starting point. We know that for the first time, we've also seen that the African business community has gotten together so that is pioneering and that is uh, something very positive. We've never had this kind of response and we should acknowledge it and encourage it. But by and large, it, it's been very disappointing that both the international community and African governments have been very slow to respond. Mm. And in terms from a financial level, I mean, the United Nations has stated that $1 billion is needed to contain the Ebola outbreak. Fatima, are we seeing the funds coming in and actually uh, are they channeled in the right ways and in the right projects or the right mechanisms? Yeah. Please allow me to start with the African government and its response. Yeah, that's fine. So we know that on the African continent, the African government has led the response at the government level and I think our government should be acknowledged for what it's done mm. and also encouraged to do more. We see the example of Cuba illustrates that it's not the size of an economy that determines a nation's ability to show solidarity to another nation at a time of need. It is a matter of political commitment. Mm. So given South Africa's infrastructure, it's probably the country with the most sophisticated health infrastructure on the continent. While we've done a lot already, we should be doing much more than we've done. So we need to, need to push our own government to do that. Mm. We also need to acknowledge that African government's capacity to respond is limited. So we need to understand the lack of financial contribution in that context. We understand the historical reasons for why African economies are as weak as it is. And so I do think our focus has to be on the corporate sector and its response, which frankly has been dismal. Mm. So here I want to focus particularly on the chocolate industry. So we know that the chocolate industry globally has a value of um, 98 billion U.S. dollars. Mm. So that's significant, almost 90 billion. Mm. And that what it's pledged in response to the World Health Organization's call for money has been 600,000 U.S. dollars. So that has been less than some contributions that's been given to, I know, for example, the first Nigerian businessman to pledge a contribution has put on the table 900,000 US dollars. So an entire industry worth almost 90 billion can, could not master what one single African businessman was willing to put on the table. I think there's a problem here. Uh, we know that 70% well, of the world's cocoa comes from this region. Mm. And besides the fact that they're being short-sighted, they, you know, the price of cocoa has already started rising. We do think there's a matter of obligation to the region because part of what has left the region as vulnerable as it has is the unfair terms of trade between Africa and the North. So it's, the Ebola crisis also presents us with a profound moment to reconsider mm. how we do business and how we allow businesses to operate on our continent. Mm. So you know, it's not a coincidence that the Ebola crisis has struck, has struck three of the poorest countries. Mm. Mm. on our continent. Not a coincidence that the majority of those who have died are poor people with vulnerable livelihoods and that incidentally the majority of those have been women. Mm. 
Mm, in the initial days of the virus, something like 70, 75% of the, the people who died in Liberia, for example, were women, simply because we didn't have enough knowledge about how the virus is transmitted. And of course, those who gave care to the ill, which we know all around the world are women, were most vulnerable to, 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 to be infected. Mm. So those are part of the contextual factors that we need to take account of. And the issue is that part of what leaves people as vulnerable as they are in these contexts are the fact that cocoa farmers are slaving at supplying the cocoa market and that they're not getting a fair value for the produce that they supply in sharp contrast to the profits that companies make. So this is the specific example of the cocoa industry, but we know in that region there's also rubber, there's also oil, and so it is a moment for us to look at how we need to do the business differently and for our governments to acknowledge that businesses are guided by a profit motive. So we don't expect them to do the right thing in terms of livelihoods yeah. or in terms of human rights. It is our obligation to force them to do business on our terms. If they're unwilling to do, we should say the cost to us is too high. Yeah. Well, Fatima... Uh, and, and to look at the other ways of doing things, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think uh, you've highlighted a context of uh, what needs to be done. And I, I think that uh, it's interesting that you bring the connections with uh, pri- private corporates and uh, governments there. But we're going to take a little break. And I want to come back to yeah. Marvin Tarawali from the African Leadership Academy uh, graduate who is also taking part in his own uh, campaign to raise funds to support a local organization in Liberia. And I get a sense that, hey, we should all be part of this whole deal, that it's not just about governments, not just about private sector. I think as Africans, we should also start conscientizing ourselves on how we can be involved. But the time right now is 21 minutes past 11. You heard from Fatima Ashabudian there, the Action Aid Country Director, giving us a context on uh, what's happening in terms of this response uh, to this uh, global threat, which is uh, Ebola right now. And uh, I think the issues that she highlighted was mainly how slow it's been uh, to respond but that African governments have done their best to respond to this and actually getting some unlikely candidates showing their uh, uh, solidarity with the continent such as Cuba. But we're going to take a break and when we come back, I want to look at Marvin's story there and also continue with uh, Fatima there to get a context on the response. But uh, we'll be back after this break. The year 2014 represents... A historic milestone of 20 years of freedom and democracy in our country. An occasion to reflect on what has been achieved over the past 20 years by South Africans working together. Women have equal rights before the law which did not exist before 1994. Workers have 20 years of enjoying rights including trade union Workplace organizing, collective bargaining, equal pay for equal work, health and safety, affirmative action, skills development, minimum wages for workers in vulnerable sectors, the right to strike and the right to peaceful protests. South Africa is a successful story. South Africa is a good story. You are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, and you're listening to us on the frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. Well, today we're looking at this issue of uh, the fight against Ebola, and we know that it is becoming a serious issue, especially in West Africa. And I'm hearing a signal. I don't know which line we're struggling with there. But uh, on the line we have Marvin Tarawali, hopefully, uh, from the African Leadership Academy, He's a graduate there and uh, basically he has started his own initiative to raise money to support a local organization in Liberia. Let's see if we still have Marvin there. Marvin, are you with us? Yes, Benjamin, I'm here. Yeah, Marvin, let's just continue with you in terms of uh, a little bit about your campaign and what inspired you to start this particular campaign. We've just heard there from uh, Fatima from the uh, Action Aid Group telling us really about the challenges that we're finding in the response against Ebola. You're a young person. What inspired you to do something about this? Well, 
Well, um, first of all, uh, the Ebola situation, um, it's something that I experienced uh, firsthand when I was in Liberia this summer. Hmm. Uh, and I knew the extent, the rate at which the virus was spreading uh, was going to be very disastrous to uh, many communities and families. And um, we, we look at a lot of interventions from, from government and uh, the private sector and international organizations. Um, uh, they're, they're more focused on the large-scale things like infrastructure, um, getting uh, the doctors in, and all those uh, major uh, sort of like uh, things that are needed to, to fight the virus. Um, but one thing I realized um, through analysis and, and, and reading what's going on, um, that families or the virus is spreading in families um, and, mm. and in uh, health sec- uh, in health in health centers um, mm. more than anywhere. So I, I was looking at how do we sort of continue the spread of this virus when people at the level of the families uh, don't have a means to, to protect themselves. Mm. Um, so. Our idea is that if you look at the uh, percentage of people uh, uh, affected by Ebola in Liberia, it's like 75% of them are women. Uh, and these are people who will always provide uh, care to their loved ones if, when they fall sick, regardless of how much they know about Ebola. Because um, these are things that the people have done for ages and it's just part of uh, their cultural activities. So um, and one of the um, examples that really comes to mind um, when we talk about our, our sort of campaign is the is example of uh, Mr. Duncan Cassell, who, who, who uh, contacted Ebola in Liberia and traveled mm. to the U.S. Um, and, one, and the way he contacted the virus was um, by providing emergency care to, to uh, a pregnant lady, as we've read, uh, and that was how he contracted the virus. Mm. So our theory is that there are multiple of those sort of uh, situations happening at the level of the family uh, and the household. Um, when people fall sick, uh, family members attend to them whether or not they know uh, what sort of uh, sickness it is. So we're saying that in this time um, that Ebola is uh, taking over Liberia and, and West Africa, it is important that um, whatever sickness or whatever family member that falls in the, in the household, uh, the parents or their, their siblings you have the basic um, gears to, to protect themselves mm. while uh, attending to them, for example, providing water or mm. uh, food to the person that, that's sick um, mm. while they can call the, uh, the way to take them to the hospital or, or call the Ebola emergency team. Mm. Our theory is that if you have um, protective gloves and disinfectants, uh, you can attend to an Ebola affected uh, person or someone who's potential who's sick and you really don't know what they're sick of, uh, and reducing the risk of contracting whatever disease they have. Um, and that's why I look, we looked into the situation and we said, why, why aren't, um, aren't international organizations or government uh, helping to provide these things at the level of the household uh, communities that are really affected? Uh, so that the risk of uh, contracting can be reduced, uh, especially in emergency situations. Uh, and that's how I got involved and uh, talked to a few people and, and said that we can do something about it, definitely. Um, and that's how we launched the campaign. Well, a great idea indeed, and I think it's just uh, very practical. That's what I like about it, Marvin. But I, I want to move back to Fatima because I know we have a uh, limited time with you. I mean, just in a great example from Marvin, there was taking his own initiative, simple idea, hey, let's create gears that protect families of victims of Ebola. How much mobilization do we need, such as these ideas from uh, the likes of Marvin, where we can mobilize communities, where we can mobilize ourselves, in society, how do we get involved as ordinary citizens in our society, uh, Fatima? Fatima, are you there? Well, I think we've lost uh, Fatima, but I think we've got uh, Faith Abidu from the African Leadership Academy. Faith, are you there with us? Yes, well, Faith, uh, can you answer that question I was trying to uh, pose to Fatima? I know that uh, you are from the African Leadership Academy and that you have actually created a start of Marvin and what he's doing right now is great pioneering. How important do you think it is for us to mobilize ourselves as ordinary citizens and be part of a change here? 
I mean, firstly, we're really proud of what Marvin is doing as a product of African Leadership Academy. And, and what he's doing is one of uh, what several of our young leaders across Africa are doing. We are really at the forefront of developing the next generation of African leaders, getting people to take initiative for themselves wherever they find themselves across the world. Uh, particularly for Africa, we, we complain a lot about the fact that our leadership uh, across this continent is not at the level that we want it to be. And community-based initiatives like what Marvin is doing uh, really have the potential to get people to think differently about the development challenges on our continent and what they can do to help to solve those challenges. So to answer your question, I think it's absolutely important for people to look around them, first of all, and take ownership of their own communities, think about how they could help to transform the neighborhoods, and then from there we can think about scaling up uh, to improve across our continent. So if we have change makers like Marvin in every community, identifying challenges and looking inwards and saying, I think I have what it takes to help to solve this challenge, I think our world really will be a much better place. And coming back to you, Marvin, in terms of uh, support and raising funds and uh, doing your campaign, how are you going about it? Well, um, we, we set up an online fundraising page uh, on the on GoFundMe, uh, and we've been able to reach um, a, um, a lot of people via their online uh, page. So far, um, we've been able to raise, uh, on the GoFundMe page as of now, uh, we've, we've raised about uh, $12,685 from um, 133 people in a month. And we've also raised um, funds uh, offline uh, that we have checked with um, some friends as well. So we've also uh, launched a campaign uh, at Bassin College where I, where I go to school. And uh, we've been able to reach our faculty, students, and just making sure that the information is reaching out to more people. Um, and we, we've been getting a lot of referrals uh, where uh, our friends are sharing with their families, um, faculty are sharing with friends and family. And that's how we've been getting our, our, our numbers up. Well, fantastic. Now, I think we have Fatima Shabudian from the Action Aid, uh, who's the country director for that. Uh, Fatima, uh, we were just speaking to Marvin Tarawal, who started a, a little campaign. It's not little, really little, but it's important because he's pioneering this idea of uh, getting people to protect themselves and uh, on a community level to get the right gears if they're providing assistance to someone with a bo- a bo- Ebola. From um, a family context, they can have the right gears to wear to, to protect themselves. Now, I wanted to ask this question to you, and I had a greater uh, answer from Faith Abadu, who also joins us from the line from the African Leadership Academy, on how important is it for us to mobilize communities in West Africa and also from other countries in assisting this particular outbreak? What can we do as ordinary citizens to help out here? For me, the the mobilization of communities is the first non-negotiable there's no way we're going to get around this pandemic without putting people most at risk at the center of the strategy. So again, I think we should learn the lessons that we have from the HIV pandemic. And I do think South Africa and Uganda has a lot to offer the process in terms of developing a strategy. So we know that the major driver of the pandemic in the initial phases was just absolute lack of knowledge. Communities did not know how do you prevent uh, contagion and that we are now some months down the line where that information is clearer. There's still no absolute science about it, but we know, for example, the washing of hands, not touching pe- you know, people who have died already. So those are absolutely vital, both in the affected community but also in our countries. We know there's a lot of ignorance. Well, I think we're struggling with a line there, but I don't know if we have Fatima. Fatima, are you still there with us? Okay, we've lost all our listeners, or I mean our guests there. And uh, yeah, we're hearing a a lot of context there on how me and you can respond. But I just want to know from you as the listener, in terms of how me and you can make a difference, mobilizing our communities, even outside of these affected countries in West Africa, what can you and I do to actually assist? We hear of a story here of a young man who is actually based in the USA, not even in, 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 in the continent itself, Marvin Tarawalia. 
Liberian citizen was joining us on the line, telling us a story about how he's uh, created a fundraising campaign to raise funds to support a local organization in Liberia. What are your views? How can you and I actually make a difference? SMS us on plus two seven. 823-325-905 plus 27 and I think it's about a personal thing here I think I'm also stirred in stirred myself to actually hey think about ways on how I can actually make a difference plus 27 what can governments do what can corporates do but what can we as individuals do to actually turn the tide with this Ebola battle but we'll be back after this break Always missing your favorite Channel Africa radio shows? Well, now you don't have to. We have a free catch-up service that allows you to listen to Channel Africa radio content from your cell phone, computer or tablet at your convenience. Visit www.channelafrica.co.za and click on Programs for a list of your favorite shows. Select what you want to hear. Click on Listen and enjoy Channel Africa Radio. It's as easy as that. Channel Africa Radio, the voice of the African Renaissance. Yes, you are listening to Channel Africa. This is African Dialogue with me, Benjamin Moshatama. You're listening to us right here on The Voice of the African Renaissance. This is African Dialogue, and I'm really kind of motivated by that story, kind of inspiring. Young man actually based in the USA from Liberia doing something about it and not just complaining and speaking from the side and saying, hey, this is what needs to be done, but actually doing something about it. And I guess that's what we need to be, the change that we want to see. But just to give you some facts while we're trying to create a connection with some of our guests there and uh, we're speaking about mobilizing just a community but also just looking at uh, some of the issues that we are facing here it's not just a small issue anymore that we've just seen I saw a little map that was making its rounds on uh, the internet whereby it showed the continent and it just showed uh, a red spot where uh, Ebola is taking place and kind of underplaying the the, the seriousness of uh, this Ebola outbreak and I kind of disagreed with this graphic I thought it was a bit condescending it was a bit out of context and didn't actually um, really deal with the issue of the Ebola outbreak and I know that uh, some media houses have been bringing it out of context but hey this is a serious issue but what we're looking at here is that uh, as I mentioned earlier the United States Center for Disease Control recently predicted that if the virus continues to spread at the current rate more than 1.4 million people will be infected before the outbreak is contained. But this prediction is a worst-case scenario that does not take into account recent efforts by the international community to stem the spread of the disease. Now, the United Nations has also estimated that uh, $1 billion is needed to contain the Ebola outbreak, while the World Bank has estimated that uh, containment and mitigation would require several billion dollars for human support, fiscal support, screening facilities at airports and seaports, and for the strengthening of surveillance, detection, and the treatment capacity for health systems. But I think what needs to be emphasized here is that treatment capacity for health systems, as was highlighted there earlier on uh, by Fatima, that it's really an infrastructural problem that we are facing. And I don't know who we have on the line. Do we have Marvin on the line? Or do we have Fatima or do we have uh, Faith? Fatima, I'm back online. We seem to be having a problem with the, our telephone line. Yes, yes. Another uh, infrastructure problem. Yeah, <laughs> that's right, Fatima. <laughs> that's a good one. But can you just uh, elaborate? You were talking a little bit about the importance of mobilizing communities in this in this fight. Yeah, just given the landscape that we're dealing with, the, the weaknesses at all other levels, I think the main weapon in our arsenal in the struggle is actually community knowledge and action to um, so the communities know how to protect themselves. I think the communities, especially those who are quarantined, 
lived in absolute fear. It was a horrific experience for them because they were locked down without knowing what was going on. We have colleagues in Action Aid Liberia who, who, who work very hard in the quarantine areas to make sure that communities receive water and food. But the prevailing experience was on dealing with the, the fear that people have in not knowing what's going on. So the reality is we know much more than we used to know. We should do a better job of getting that information out. And then to bring the conversation closer to our home, we know that South Africans have also great fear. There's a great amount of ignorance globally and on the continent about Ebola and how it spreads. So it's really important that at this stage, further isolation of those three countries in the region will actually make the crisis worse, not better. So we know it's a mm. contagious disease. We need to take the precautions we is that necessary not to get infected, but at this stage, calling for border closures, the stopping of flights to these regions are actually exacerbating conditions. And uh, we need to do a better job in South Africa of educating South Africans on how the virus is spread, how we are not at a risk, and simply traveling to the regions doesn't uh, mean that you become infected. So both within the infected communities and here in our country and on the rest of the continent, we also know there's a lot of ignorance in other parts of the world, African football players, Africans in other parts of the north, facing yeah, yeah. discrimination as a result of this. And part of the problem is, of course, that the Ebola pandemic mm. feeds into a very fertile imagination of Africans and African disease which is also provides us with a moment to confront that, to challenge the media houses and how they report yeah. on this Ebola virus. Mm. We never see the faces of people that have died. You know, this the absolute decimation of almost 6,000 families have, um, mm. you know, 6,000 people, families have lost members of their lives, loved ones. Mm. We don't see the faces of, of people. Uh, now and then on Facebook, you'll see a picture here and there. But mainstream media have only reported this in terms of numbers, and yeah. it really contributes further to a devalue of African lives. Yeah. Well, I, I want to wrap it up right now because I only have four minutes left, and I know that I have a Faith Abidu back from the African Leadership Academy just in a minute or so, Faith, and I'll come back to you, Fatima. Uh, how can yeah. we support Marvin? How do we make sure that, hey, we, we push forward that campaign that he's doing? And uh, I want to also ask you, Fatima, after that, in terms of what can we do also to support Action Aid? But let's start with you, Faith. Well, the first thing we can do to support Marvin really is to get on the fundraising page that he has created along with his colleagues mm. uh, in Boston and with the support of a local charity back in Liberia mm. and to make whatever contribution we can make. You know, mm. if a $5 contribution might look really petty and for, for some South Africa it sounds like 50 rands, like it's never going to change anything. Mm. But when you get that on the ground and for the family that receives the support kit, they're never going to say it, it was not enough. Mm. You know, so I'm, I'm encouraging everyone who can to get on the fundraising page, there's a link right from the Channel Africa homepage, yeah, and yeah, yeah. make a contribution uh, yeah. through through that campaign. The second thing you can really do is to spread the word. Uh, if you know the people in your community or around you who are concerned about this as possible, then get them to also spread the word around and really let's all get into our communities and, and talk about this yeah. this this virus, which is just one of our leadership challenges in Africa. I think if if we had woken up to this much quicker, uh, we really could have helped to stop the spread. Yeah. of this virus much quicker. So I'm asking everyone to make a contribution, spread the word, and think also about how you can be effective in your communities because it might look like it's Liberia, it's far away, yeah. but we are a very interconnected world. Definitely. And whatever happens in Liberia affects all of us. And so let's support Marvin. Let's support other young leaders out there who are thinking about how they can be change makers in their communities. Great. Uh, let's do that. Great. Fatima, in terms of us uh, assisting Action Aid, can we do something as individuals? Can we go on your site? Can we? Yeah, I think yeah. it's vitally it's important that we put our hands into our pockets. You know, whether you can give five rand or fifty rand, the reality is our immediate priority is to contain the spread so that more people don't get infected, more people don't die, mm. and for that we need money. So I know about Marvin's organization's initiative. There is an initiative by our own government called the Ebola Response. Mm. It's being run through the Wits uh, University. Great. So I think wherever there are possibilities, we should all do what we can because that is quite urgent. The other thing I want to suggest beyond money is that we have all to take responsibility to educate ourselves about the virus. Mm. 
there's a lot of information out on the internet. Mm. You know, almost 80% of us have cell phones, many of us have cell phones. So I think if you're listening to this and you're still not sure what Ebola is or how the virus is transmitted, just take five minutes, get on your phone, understand it, and tell someone right. else about it because yeah. it's yeah, I think we 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 losing you there on on the line there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, uh, okay. Fatima, for helping us with uh, just your insights, and I think that you gave us some practical insights on how the response has been, what we can do as individuals. I also, want to uh, thank uh, uh, Faith Abidu as well from the African Leadership Academy. He announced that hey, you can go support a Marvin Tarawali's uh, initiative on our website on Channel Africa. You can go to www.channelafrica.com and also you can, uh, let's Google that Ebola response from the Vits University and see how we can be part of that. But I love what uh, Fatima was highlighting there. Hey, let's inform ourselves. Let's find out what this Ebola virus is all about. Let's not just all rely on what we read and what we see on the media, but let's go do our own research and find out the real practicalities on how we can learn more about it and how we can respond to it but uh, that's how we wrap it up i'd like to thank uh, fatima i'd like to thank faith marvin also for enduring some of the technical problems that we had in this hour thank you all for joining us on on channel africa Fantastic. And also want to thank Marvin Tarawali. He was on the line. What a great guy. And I think that's fantastic what he's doing. So do go to our website on www.channelafrica.com and find out more about that initiative and how you can get involved. That's uh, www.channelafrica.com. It's actually .org, www.channelafrica.org. But that's how we wrap it up. And hey, let's do something about this. Ebola bits. Symptoms may develop from 2 to 21 days, normally in 8 to 10 days. Symptoms often begin with a sudden fever along with muscle aches and a headache. There may also be nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, a cough and a sore throat. This message is brought to you by Channel Africa and supplied by the World Health Organization. Follow the discussion on Twitter using hashtag BeatEbolaNow. Now let's move on and get our economics update. Uh, we sign Matibula standing by. Good morning. Thanks, Benjamin. South African Power Utility ESCOM is concerned about the possible shortage of uh, diesel at its stations. However, it says consumers should not expect load shedding at least up until Wednesday. Since Friday, certain parts of the country have experienced load shedding due to technical problems at the power utilities, various power stations. ESCOM spokesperson Andrew Etzinger. We are concerned that the suppliers to those peaking power stations are not able to deliver diesel in the quantities that we require to keep the lights on at the moment. But at the moment, we're using our diesel power stations sparingly to preserve diesel. If we are able to replenish our diesel suppliers by Wednesday, then the rest of the week looks good. If we are not able to do that, then that would mean a possible risk of load shedding later in the week. Nigeria plans to cut subsidies on petroleum products by half next year after sharp declines in global crude prices spurred the government to revise its 2015 budget downwards. President Goodluck Jonathan submitted the revised budget figures to lawmakers proposing to spend $2.59 billion on petrol subsidy in 2015. Nigerian Finance Ministry proposed lowering the assumed benchmark oil price for the country's 2015 budget to $73 million per barrel from $78 million per barrel in September after global crude prices collapsed. Still about oil, oil prices uh, could plunge to $60 a barrel if OPEC does not agree to significant output when it meets in Vienna this week. Commodity fund managers say Brent crude features have uh, dropped 34% since June to touch a four-year low of $76.7 a barrel 
on November 14 and could tumble further if OPEC does not agree to cut at least 1 million barrels per day of oil production. Kenyan tea firms Williamson Tea and Kapochora have reported weaker first-half pre-tax profits with both saying declining tea prices will reduce their respective full-year earnings by at least a quarter. Williamson Tea, which shares owners with Kapochora Tea, says its pre-tax profit dropped 54%. To $2.66 million. The company says a higher crop and falling prices for tea at the Mombasa based tea auction that handles sales for the commodity from Kenya and other countries in the region had had profits. Financial indicators the dollar at uh, 10.93, South African rents 9.04, Botswana Pulas and 6.31, Zambian Kwachas also at 0.63 against the British pound and 0.80 against the euro. Commodities gold $1,200, platinum $1,223 a fine ounce, Brent crude oil $80.55 per barrel. That's how it's looking. Well, thank you to Wisani, but it's time for us to move on and get our sports from uh, Fihile Lingwati. In our sports update this hour, we're kicking off with rugby news. Siabelo Sinatla has been released from the Springbok touring squad at the request of the Springbok Sevens and returned to South Africa. Sinatra will join the Bleds Box as they prepare for next two tournaments in the HSBC Sevens World Series in Dubai and Port Elizabeth. Sinatra says he had a great time on tour with the Springboks. Meanwhile, Springbok coach Henneke Meyer says he is satisfied with the way the likes of Kuni Ostezen, Trevor Nyakane, Nizam Kaur and Johan Hosen came through the test against Italy in Padova. The Springboks beat Italy 22-6 and Mayer believes that he has a good platform to pick a quality squad for next year's Rugby World Cup. I really believe that Kuni was awesome today and not just Kuni Trevor as well. I think you must always take it in uh, consideration that most of the team has never played yet. Uh, it's totally different when you play away from home in these conditions and, and uh, you know, it's a tough crowd and it's a total new environment and most of these guys uh, haven't even played away from home. So I thought Kuni and, uh, and Trevor did brilliantly. It was a huge, huge, huge character test for them because Kuni's been under huge pressure uh, for, you know, for scrummaging and he, he probably scrummed against the, one of the best uh, front rows in world rugby. So ticked all the boxes. I've said Nizam's been running great lines in training and uh, the test team now has taken where there is a lot of uh, uh, space and in a tough test match and uh, he came through with flying colours, especially when the game opened up. And uh, you know what I, what I like about this test match, it was a typical tactical test match and uh, Johan was tested, I thought he was superb. Uh, when the game opened up, it was always a, the, the um, plan to, to bring Billy on. Um, the one area I think we weren't really covered was fullback, although Zane has never let us down and he's always an option. But I think now with uh, Johan showed that he can play there, Billy has been superb and uh, Pat can also play there. So ticked all the boxes. Like I said, you know, three tight heads out, end of last year we struggled, France came through, Cooney came through against France, suddenly Julian is coming through, so I'm very, very happy with the state of, uh, you know, I won't say South African rugby, I can't claim that, but I'm very happy with the state of all our players. Suddenly we've got a lot of, lot of guys coming through. Um, if you just look at the, fl- the fly-off, so uh, I think we can pick a very, very, very experienced and very good um, side that's going to the World Cup and for the next few test matches. In local football, South African APSA Premiership log leaders Kaiser Chiefs stretched their unbeaten run in the league to 11 matches this season after they were held to a one-all draw by the defending champions Mamelodi Sundowns at FNB Stadium at the weekend. Sundowns playmaker Diego Modise took the lead for the Brazilians eight minutes into the second half, but 12 minutes later, Mamelodi-born midfielder George Libese leveled the matters for the host. Chiefs maintained their 11 points lead at the top and head coach Stuart Baxter feels that the result was a true reflection of the game. For me, I thought it was a game where both teams had the upper hand slightly at times and there was 
times when no one had the upper hand. I think it was, uh, for me, from our point of view, I was most disappointed with, with the, uh, the inability that we knew, that we, knew we know Sundowns like to have possession of the ball. And we, wanna, we wanted to make sure, make sure that we could decide where they got it as much as we could. So we, we couldn't transfer our little period of superiority into goals. And I think towards the finish it became like end-to-end stuff. You know, it was like two sluggers having a go at each other. We, one one Zilander, wanted to land the, the winning punch, but uh, no one had the composure or the, uh, or the wherewithal to do it. So probably I, I'm guessing 1-1 was a fair result based on I thought that both teams had periods of the game where they played, played well and uh, albeit differently. And finally, with boxing news, Manny Pacquiao retained his WBO welterweight title in Macau by overwhelming American challenger Chris Algieri. The Filipino eight-weight world champion knocked down his 30-year-old opponent six times during the 12-round contest to hand Algieri a first defeat. Pacquiao first sent Algieri to the canvas in the second round when a punch forced the American to slip. Four rounds later, Algieri fell overhead first in the face of another Pacquiao attack before a tumble following a right hook. That's a sport news this hour. Well, that's how we wrap it up for this hour. Thank you for joining us here on African Dialogue. I was telling you about that little image of Africa that I saw on um, Facebook. It had just this little dot in West Africa and the rest of the continent was just grey, meaning that it's just happening in a small percentage of the continent. But I didn't agree with that graphic. I thought it was not really telling the story. It was a lot of out of context because I think the whole do- the whole continent should be read. It should be a warning for all of us to actually do something about this Ebola outbreak. It affects all of us. It doesn't just affect West Africa, Liberia, Sierra Leone and those countries involved. It actually affects me and you. But hey, if you want to do something about it, go to our website. Go to www.channelafrica.org and you can actually assist uh, uh, this young man who's created his own campaign, Marvin. And uh, hey, just to help ordinary citizens to be get up, to have a kit where they can protect themselves if they're helping a family member. So go to our website, www.channelafrica.org or you can donate just a small amount and maybe can make a difference not maybe it will make a difference but let's wrap up with uh, today's uh, proverb of the day and uh, today's uh, Tureg proverb is a simple one and I think I kind of identify with this one it says that when the music changes then the rhythm of the dance must also change I think that's a cool one that's how we wrap it up until tomorrow God bless
Maria Dewi 